Okay, I think I think we're going. I think we're. When do you want me to go? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, think, I don't I think know what happened before. Yeah, I don't know. I kept um, clicking on it, and your face would show up, but it would be totally frozen, and then it would look like uh, something's loading, and then it would tell me to go to hell. So I don't know. <laughs> but here we are. Yeah. Hi, Mel. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. So I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's cold outside, but it's sunny. So that's, that's the good thing. Yeah. I went for a little walk before this and I got, I don't know if it was snowed or drizzled or what, but it was fresh and, um, I didn't mind it. Yeah. I saw some flurries, <laughs> um, indoors, but yeah, I saw it like flurrying earlier. Hmm. Yeah. This is the longest I haven't shaved. I think, Maybe comps. I probably didn't shave around comps, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's looks good. Not going anywhere, so. <laughs> <laughs> I like the mustache. I think that looks good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so you are sharing some cool physics at home. Yeah. So I think I maybe alluded to this last episode. I alluded. I think I might have just said it, but um, I've been helping design some first-year lab courses or labs for a first year physics course to be taken this summer. So usually they go into the lab and they do all this like by the like buy a recipe book kind of thing labs very first year ish. But now obviously they can't go into the labs. So we thought we would try to design four labs and mail them a bunch of stuff and have them do it at home. So That's the so innovative yeah, and I think it's going to turn out really well. So the, the materials have arrived. So I have one of the lab kits, and I've been writing the manual, and now I finally get to try it with the stuff that they'll have at home. So maybe I was hoping to show you some of this stuff. Anything? Am I supposed to be seeing equipment things or no? I'm going to show you equipments now. Okay. I'm going to, yeah. And uh, I have a special guest today that might help me out. My girlfriend, Andrea, is over here. Um, Yay. Call her over when needed. Otherwise, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise she'll just laugh at me, and, and it'll be good. So students will receive this in the mail. Mm -hmm. There's a box. And inside the box, there'll be some materials. So this is what they get. A protractor, a compass. Yeah. Uh, so a ruler. Just in case. A protractor. Yeah. A rubber ball. Rubber ball. And a little spring. This is, um, they called it a fishing lanyard. I don't know. I think you can put your keys on it, but yeah. Springs. Ooh. Oh, yes, this as well. <laughs> it's just a plastic dish. That's part of the experiments? Yep. Wow, okay. And so with these materials and like pencil, paper, maybe some cardboard, you're going to be able to do four different labs. Um, some of them on forces and free body diagrams, some of them on conservation of energy, optics, and projectile motion. So minimal equipment. 
and maximal fun and learning in theory. <laughs> How does that work? Is it that you, like, are they going to have like video cams on them while they're doing the lab? Like it's a big WebEx thing where they all go online or do they, do they take a video of what they do? Like what's, what's the format going to be like? Yeah, so the format is going to be, um, let's see. Maybe you'll be able to see it on my screen here. But um, they'll have a lab manual with prompts, like so. Yeah. Um, and then directions on how to do their experiment and spots in the manual for them to fill in data. Mm. They'll just submit, um, they'll submit their spreadsheets or any plots that they make just as a, a document. Right. We'll also ask them to take a picture of their experiment or something from their time doing this stuff, just like a, a photo, just for fun, just to see how people, you know, improvise or, yeah, I don't know. So do they do it all at the same time or can they do it whenever they can throughout the week? Whenever they want, throughout the week. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's pretty free form. It's... Um, it's sort of a do your best with the materials you have, but yeah. here are some of the materials we'll send it to you. And uh, hopefully they're going to learn a lot. It's going to be very hands-on, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to end up better than the labs as they are um, with all the really fancy equipment and stuff. I think they're going to learn more here. Yeah, because like they're doing it with things at home first of all and secondly they're literally doing it on their own they don't have their ta over them hovering like oh connect this to this or you know mm -hmm. like they're gonna have to problem solve on their own um and yeah that's that's, that's one of my favorite things is that uh the data acquisition it's very much uh do your best with what you have yeah alternative when they're actually in a lab a lot of the time they have like computer situations where it just takes massive amounts of data they might not know really how the data is getting collected mm. um, it's kind of removed from what's actually happening so for example the first lab is sort of a figure out how to do your graphing and figure out what programs you're going to use in very basic experiment it's just going to be um, basically taking your rubber ball and dropping it uh-oh. We have a ball predator. Come here. Oh. Uh, Kayan? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first lab, all we're really doing is um, we're measuring out two meters above the ground, uh, setting up a camera, like a phone camera, hitting play, and then dropping it, and then using the timestamps on the video to measure out displacement over time. Oh, wow. And so you have the, the basic kinematic equations of like gravity has an acceleration of 9.8. Your initial velocity is zero. You have your, your timestamps. And so what we want them to do is calculate, or sorry, plot displacement over time, turn that into a velocity over time, mm. turn that into acceleration over time. Wow, I miss physics. This is making me miss physics. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, we sort of, uh, we don't have to plot anything or take data for the other parts, but it'll be like um, throw the ball up in the air and draw free body diagrams. Right. Uh, in that case, you're learning that uh, when the ball is traveling, there's only one force acting on it. That's gravity. 
and then you can do some fun calculations. But that's sort of a warm up to get them ready for the other labs. Um, yeah, like what do you need the, the protractor for? Yeah, so that's going to be the optics one, and that's going to be the kind of the hardest one to show. So maybe I'll show you the other ones first, and then I'll get to the protractor. But um, the second lab is on forces, and so typically when you talk about hell yeah, <laughs> and how about friction? Do you remember friction? What's the what's the the symbol for that? Uh, the is there a symbol? The friction coefficient is usually done as mu. There's a kin kinetic and a static friction. I don't remember. Oh, mm, mm, mm. it sounds a little familiar. Yeah, so it's proportional to its mass times gravity, basically the normal force. Mm. So if you have a object resting on the ground, gravity is going to be accelerating it down into the ground. Yes. With some mass. And then because it doesn't, you know, slip through the floor, that means the ground has to be applying a force upwards. Yes. So here's an object of known mass. Um, it's sitting on our box. We're going to pretend the box is massless. So this is about 500 milliliters. And it's roughly water. So we can say that that's half a kilogram. Mm -hmm. So now we know exactly how much gravitational force is acting on this. And so when we're talking Wait, about oh, force... What's that? How do we know how much gravitational force is acting on it? Um, so acceleration of any object on Earth due to gravity is 9.8 meters per second squared. Okay. And then the force of gravity is just proportional to the mass of the thing that we're interested in and the gravitational... Um, acceleration. So that's the F equals MA. Right. So then we get right. okay. half a kilogram times 9.8, and that gives you something in newtons. Right. So we have something of known mass. We have um, the gravitational force on it. So from that, we can calculate the normal force. I did this experiment. Yes. Yeah. And like you pull it along. And like you can measure the, you measure something. You can't remember what it. The, the, is that how you get the friction? Yeah. So so if I start pulling on the object here, yeah, I can apply force and it doesn't move, doesn't move, doesn't move, until suddenly it starts to move. Yeah. So at that point, so before it starts to move, what are the forces acting on it? There's friction keeping it still, and then there's this spring force that's trying to move it that way. So right at the point where it slips, the friction force, static friction force, is equal to the pulling force. Yes. But the problem here is we don't actually know what our pulling force is, right? Right. So we have this spring that we've attached to our object and we're pulling it, but what is that actually, what is the, the force we're pulling with? Well, we're going to get them to calibrate this spring and turn it into a force sensor. So the way we're going to do that... At home. <laughs> so everything you need is actually right here. So one of the nice things about springs that we teach them in 1A is that um, spring force is proportional to how much the spring is stretched. So if you stretch it by a certain amount, that's going to take a certain amount of force. And if you double that, it's going to be double the force. 
Okay. So again, this is only proportionalities. So we don't actually know the true value of uh, the force that we're applying on the spring. Well, to figure that out, we would need to know the spring constant of the spring. Mm. So basically how stiff the spring is. Um, turns out we can do that if we have an object of known mass. So again, we're going to go back to this can. This is half a kilogram. What we can do is we can measure the natural length of the spring from here to here. Then if we attach our spring to this can and we suspend it, we basically just let it hang, then we can measure the length again and compare those two lengths. Ah, so that's how you get the proportionality. Exactly, yeah. Ah. So if it stretches by, say, like 10 centimeters, and we know that uh, the force of gravity on this, which is one half times 9.8, is equal to the force required to stretch this 10 centimeters. Great. And so now from that, we can get the spring constant, which lets us relate any stretching to an actual force with a number. Yeah. So they only have to do that one time. Yeah. Then this spring has become a high-tech force measuring instrument. Wow. So once you have that, we can go back to this situation where we start with a spring. It has a length. And you slowly pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it. And right when it starts to move... You measure that. Yeah, exactly. Mark how much it's stretched. And then... Subtract that number from its original length. Yeah. Multiply it by that spring constant, and you have an exact force. Wow. Wow. And so, <laughs> yeah. Um, then the challenge part of this, so the way we have it set up is we start with a, a problem that yeah. sort of gets them thinking in the right space. Uh, so it's just written on paper, like a little quiz problem that's directly related to the experiment. We get them to do an experiment and take data. And then we have a challenge part of the experiment where we try to get them to take some data, but it's going to be a little bit difficult. So it's just sort of bonus. Mm. And so the extra bit for this lab, um, finding the static coefficient of friction, not so bad. We just described how to do that. But there's also kinetic friction. So once it starts to move, there's a different value of mu. There's a different type of friction. Yeah. Um, so this is a little bit more difficult to measure because if you're exactly the same velocity at a constant velocity, then we know that the acceleration is zero. And so there's no net force. Right. So that means that whatever length the spring is at, that's, that's going to be related to the kinetic uh, friction. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that if you don't pull it at a constant velocity, if it speeds up and slows down, then you're going to get different lengths on your spring. Right. Just kind of zigzag back and forth. Yeah. So you just have to be very careful and consistent with pulling it. And just a little bit. How would you know if they, like, how would you know if it's right? How would you know if their answer is right? Because, as you said, they could be pulling it at different um velocities potentially compared to a constant yeah so we're gonna suggest that they do the measurements two or three times mm -hmm. so if they're accidentally making it speed up like 
it starts constant and then goes faster, the spring will be a little bit longer than it should be. Right. Maybe it'll measure higher force. Um, but if you measure it a little bit short, um, like if it stops and starts and stops and starts, you might get something that's a little bit lower. So if you do it a couple times, you will hopefully get an average value that's pretty close. How, how would they even go about measuring that? Like, how do you estimate that? Do you just like open your finger like this and put it over the ruler? Because <laughs> it's moving <laughs> and you're trying to get the ruler to measure it at the same time. Like, how, how do you do that? Yeah, so we're going to recommend setting up a little experimental platform like this. Okay, so you came prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you start off here, you get it to slide along the paper and then maybe put your finger down. And like you said, just try to like ballpark it. And you're not going to get an exact perfectly done measurement. But if you do it a couple times, you'll get sort of a range and then you'll probably of the actual value with yeah. this method. So it's so, better than nothing. <laughs> also, um, so yeah. if, are they also going to compare class data? Because if they do it on different um, materials, I guess, like under the plastic thing, it will have a different friction, right? Absolutely, yeah. So that's going to be actually pretty fun for the T. Well. Fun for the TAs is maybe a stretch, but it'll be interesting for the TAs for sure. And yeah. that's something that the profs will talk about in their lectures. Mm -hmm. uh, after the fact, when people you know submit their um, results and everything, uh, that just provides more um, talking points for the for the TA or for the teachers. This so that that great that's a learning moment. Yeah, for you at least. I. I'm not TAing this summer, so I don't have that. But yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. So the third lab is maybe one of the harder ones to explain because there's some calculations that go into it. But I prepared a few of the calculations. I don't know if this is the right. No, it's backwards, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll explain as we go, and hopefully this will just be fine. So we talked about forces in the second lab. In the third lab, we want to talk about conservation of energy. Mm. So um, basically the idea is that energy is conserved in a system unless it loses it somehow, which is kind of a silly thing to say. But um, if energy is fully conserved in this ball drop experiment, I drop the ball, it hits the ground, then how high should the ball um, rebound? Does not matter on, there's, you're not pushing it down, you're just letting it drop, right? Right. If I let it drop, it hits the ground and all the energy is conserved, how high should it come back? If all the energy is conserved, it should go right back to the original state. Yep, that's right. But as, if you do the experiment, you find that that's never really the case. Because so means we it's transferred to the, the thing that's hitting, right? Yeah, yeah, so a perfectly elastic collision, all the energy is conserved and the ball comes right back to my hand. A perfectly inelastic collision, all of the energy is lost from the ball into whatever material and the ball just sort of sticks to the ground. Um, these are like two extremes and in reality, um, 
basically nothing is perfectly elastic or inelastic. Yeah. So that's what we yeah. want to explore in this lab. And we're going to do that with the bouncing ball situation. So um, on paper, it's a lot easier to like calculate how much energy is lost in something like this. You can, you know, just in your brain think, okay, how high did it bounce this first time? How high did it bounce the second time? And then use like gravitational potential energy to figure out how much energy is lost. That's yeah. the idea that it takes a certain amount of energy to raise the ball from the ground up to here. And then if you let it go, it releases that energy into kinetic, and then it goes back into gravitational potential. Yeah. So in theory, you could drop it, measure how high it goes, and then take that as a new energy state, drop it, it comes up to a different spot, take that as a new energy state. But if I were to do that for you right now, it'd be hard to measure exactly the the, the height that it bounces. Yeah. But we learned in the first lab about uh, acceleration due to gravity mm -hmm. and forces. So we know that when a ball is just in the air doing free fall or, you know, throwing it up or something like that, the only force we have to worry about is gravity. Right. Um, we know that right at the ground, when it first hits the ground or when we first drop it, the velocity is at zero. Mm -hmm. So then we can use some simple kinematic equations to calculate, you know, velocities, um, sort of change in velocities um, of the ball as it's going throughout its path, and more or less figure out the time between bounces. Okay, so time could be a proxy for how much energy is being spent. Yeah, so if we can't measure the height that it bounces yeah. between bounces, instead we can measure the time. Mm -hmm. And since we know velocities at two different points, and we know acceleration due to gravity, mm -hmm. that's all we need in the uh, kinematic equations to figure out the height. Mm. Yeah, I don't know anything about the kinematic equation, so. <laughs> um, let's see here. So that's like the, um, I think usually you see it as like change in distance is equal to initial location plus velocity times time. Okay. So if you're traveling at like 10 meters per second for, oh. So if you're traveling at 10 meters per second for, one second, you've traveled 10 meters. Okay. But then you also have acceleration in there. And that is related to displacement by um, time squared. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the basic kinematic equation. Mm -hmm. And so if we know uh, like initial height and bottom height, like when it's hitting the ground, we know that delta D. Um, if we know initial velocity, which is zero, and if we know A, yeah. or acceleration, then we can turn that big equation into something that lets you predict uh, time, or sorry, uh, bounce height as a function of time. Mm. So then the measurement that they make is they start at a certain height, drop the ball, and right when they drop the ball, they hit record on their phone for an audio recording, 
and then each bounce is going to have a sound. And then they can just look on the wave file and point out where each peak of sound is. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And then turn that directly into amount of energy uh, lost or energy saved, however you want to calculate it. Where does the energy go? Like, where is uh, it? So you can, so when it's you up, can, it's potential. Then when it's moving, it's kinetic. Mm -hmm. Then at the point it hits the ground, is any transferred to the ground? Yeah, so you definitely lose some in terms of uh, sound. Yeah. That's like a, one of the classic ones that uh, students will say, but not a lot is lost through sound. Um, you'll lose some into the ground. Um, you can imagine like if I were to drop this ball onto uh, like a sponge or something, the sponge deforms and that's going to eat up some energy. But even like the wooden floor is going to deform a little bit, yeah. not a lot, but to some degree. What really ends up deforming quite a bit is the ball, the rubber ball. True. So that's going to impact the form. And then all that squishing of the rubber material is going to suck some energy out. It'll, in theory, heat up a little bit. That also causes some energy to be lost. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's enough for it to basically not come back to your hand and start bleeding from the system. Wow. So you could do that on the floor. Yeah. But then we're going to ask them to do it on different materials too. Like their bed, it's not going to bounce. Yeah, or like their their cardboard, yeah, or a piece of paper. You can put like a, a piece of paper on top of the floor, and that'll even be a bit different. Yeah. Um, and then from that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might be a little bit hard to hear that, uh, oh, yeah. sponge. But I mean, we're not going to tell them what to use necessarily. It'll be up to them to try try yeah. out different materials. So that's a a fun one that um. It's more calculation driven, mm -hmm. so it's a little bit more complicated to talk about. But I think it's one of the cooler ones. Yeah. It probably will surprise people that you can do, you can learn so much about a system with one simple measurement. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then we get to the last one. The one with this dish. What's that? With the protractor. Yeah. So this is going to be an optics one. Are you from Snell's Law? No. You know <laughs> so this is, um, this is like the whole, if you have a glass of water and you stick your pencil or a straw in it, you'll see the straw go down and then you'll see like a zig. Okay, yeah. Is it about yeah. diffraction? Yeah, refraction, reflection, right. diffraction, all, that, all that stuff, all yeah. that good stuff. Um, so that's what we want to um, teach them about in lab four. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that defines how much the light gets distorted yeah. is the material's refractive index. Yes. So this is just a ratio between the speed of light in a vacuum compared to the speed of light in that material. Mm -hmm. Um, so we know vacuum is just a constant value. It's really big, but when it, light goes through any other medium, uh, the light will slow down. Is it 2.998 by 10 to the six or eight or something like that? Yeah, I always get it confused because it's either quoted in meters per second or kilometers 
per second, and that depend that tells you whether it's to the six or to the eight or whatever. Wow, my memory, amazing. <laughs> <You're killing. laughs> um, yeah, so we can't measure speed of light, unfortunately, in this lab. Mm. Although, actually, we can kind of measure it. Um, but what we want, this is not going to work exactly the way I want, but we'll start here for now. What we want to do is we want to figure out what the um, refractive index is of our liquid. Mm -hmm. And so what we're going to do is measure how much the light is distorted and relate that back. So <laughs> this is brutal. <laughs> um, what we're going to do, yeah, maybe. All right, here comes Andrea, our assistant. Hi, Andrea. Hi. <laughs> so if you can actually put it low so that it's sort of in plane. I can't really see direct. <laughs> this is brutal. <laughs> uh, you can kind of see. Yeah. I okay. Can. Uh... Can get this even flatter. Let me try to just pull this off here. Oh, I turned it around. Okay. Can just leave it like this now. So you can probably see my finger. Yes. Is pretty much straight. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna fill this with liquid now. Ooh, carbonated. <laughs> <laughs> it still appears pretty straight. Can you see it like above and below? Well, now it's gone. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't see it below. I think it's because it's, I don't know if it's because of the bubble, so. There's slight distortion, but it looks pretty straight. Okay, yeah, I see now at that angle. So that's actually the, yeah. the phenomenon that you're going to try to use. So if you look straight on, um, then you shouldn't really see any distortion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, at a certain angle, you're not going to see any distortion. But as you change the angle, that's when you start to see. Yeah. So what we're going to get them to do is basically look through their uh, prism and mark where they uh, where they're observing, like where the line of sight is through the back end, mm -hmm. and then mark um, where they see the object on the other side. So now we're gonna and then draw a box and around their right, and then you use a protractor to then use the angles to estimate the refractive index or something. 
Yeah, so you can draw a ray from where you're observing yeah. into the prism. Yeah. And then you can draw from that prism to where uh, you see the object again on the other side. Mm -hmm. and you're going to get a line, an angle, and then a line with another angle associated with it. Right. So you're going to, yeah, you're going to get two different angles out of that. You're going to get um, the angle of like my eyesight into the box and then the angle of the uh, object on the other side to the box. Right, 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 right. Then like you just put the marks on the, on the paper for those yep. like spots. So I'm going to quickly draw a thing on the paper. Picasso. <laughs> uh, I don't know. And so as I was looking through, it came in here. Yeah. And then yeah. if it went straight, it would have went out here. But where I actually seemed to see it was like, uh, I can't see. Okay. Here. So you can draw. I can't see where you're drawing. Ah, uh, okay. This is maybe not working exactly. I saw some, but okay, yeah, this is better. Okay. So this is where my eye was coming in. Yeah. And I should have seen the finger over here, but really I saw it over here. Yeah. So we know that no matter what material light's going, I'm going to go straight. So it comes in here. It leaves here, and then you join the line here. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get an angle here, and you're going to get an angle here. Yeah. And if you relate those two angles, it'll tell you the index of refraction, or basically how much the light is slowed through the uh, fluid. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember not, I didn't actually do this experiment, but I remember learning about this um, when, I don't know, when I was 15 in physics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then they can do that with water, they can do it with oil, and they'll get something different. Yeah. Um, and then, so that's like the, the, the basic experiment. And then the challenge experiment is more of a theoretical thing but it's something that they can do. So the thought experiment that you want to kind of think about is if you're say under the surface of like a, a lake or something, and you're looking upwards towards like the sun or like a dock or something, you're going to have the speed of light going to your eye is going to be slower than it is outside of the water. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be the same sort of like bent, um, light path, but it's going to be bent in the opposite direction than what we saw before. Right. So light is slower closest to you and faster okay. away from you. Right. And this set up this yesterday. Uh, there was a tweet. I saw something on Twitter, and it it was about the Doppel Doppler. Is that it? Something effect. Uh, redshift. Something about redshift. 
Oh, that's like a, um, that's like a, if a siren is coming towards you or away from you and the, the pitch changes. Yeah. But it's also about colors too, because if, because red, red is on the lower end of frequencies, whereas blue is on like the higher end of frequencies. And they use that to estimate where stars are, like if stars are moving away or, or towards us, and that's where are going away because they're more of the on the red spectrum, something like that. Yeah, that's actually a, a super important um, physics thing for astronomers in trying to figure out the size of the universe. Yeah. So, like you said, if it's moving away from you, it stretches out the wavelength. So it goes from you know whatever wavelength it has to something that's more red into like the infrared into radio waves or whatever if it's coming towards you it actually compresses the wavelength mm -hmm. so then you get into the blues mm -hmm. and the like, x-rays or whatever does that kind um, of so I can tell you... sorry is that kind of similar to what you're explaining it's um it's similar in that we're modulating the speed of um of light but we're not exactly using this to measure uh speeds okay so much um yeah. of like moving things but um this is similar to like similar to like how gravity can lens light sometimes and you can use that to like measure black holes a little bit similar to that yeah cool um but the the cool thing about being submerged and looking out is that depending on what angle you're looking out at uh it's possible that the light doesn't actually escape the surface of the water. So if you look directly up at the sun or something, uh, there's not gonna be angle shift. That's like when the finger was just like straight in front of you and nothing changed. And as you rotate it around it, you got um, more of a, yeah. you know, angle or whatever, angle change. If it's changing in the opposite direction, like you're going from slow to fast, you can actually shift enough that the light hits the surface and bends enough that it goes parallel or down, back down again. Yeah. And so that's called a total internal reflection. Yes, I learned that too. In, um, in diamond something, diamonds? Yeah, that happens a lot there. Yeah. Um, but also like optical fibers for sending data. Yeah, yeah. The principle that um, that your like optical cable operates on. Yeah, that's how it sends. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we want them to try to calculate um, as a function of refractive index uh, what angle you have to be looking out of the water basically to have everything be reflected. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess you can think about if you're like laying at the bottom of a pool, which is a bad idea, but if you're doing that and you look straight up at an object, say there's like a, I don't know, somebody's holding like a, a flag or something directly above you. If they rotate around you, yeah. at a certain angle, you're not gonna be able to see the flag anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Ah, science. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah, that's-, that's sure the your, your students are here. Hopefully they're curious, um, but they're gonna have lots of fun if they're curious. Yeah, and like worst case, I think you can get through these pretty quick, so. <laughs> yeah, and it's only four weeks, right, you said? 
four different labs. I think the whole semester is um, seven weeks. Oh, wow. That's long. I guess that is what it's normally, though. <laughs> yeah. I think. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. That includes, like, their final exam and everything. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, it gives time to work through stuff. and. Yeah. Fun. You should let us know yeah. how your students enjoy it or what they found. Yeah. It's a, it's a, we've been planning this since uh, near the end of March, and I think yesterday we finally got it approved by the university to mail these kits out. Um, yeah, because I, I guess they had to assess. Yeah, we had to convince the crisis management team, and yeah. <laughs> it was uh, but it's probably a lot of it for the university to do this instead of using expensive equipment in the labs. Oh yeah. If they had been doing this from day one, um, I mean, last year we just bought, I think 40 really fancy computer chairs for the lab. Yeah. Because the chairs were old and so 40 times, I don't know if they got a special deal on them or something. If it's like a hundred dollars and we're talking like, yeah, that's still a lot of money. Um, and there, I mean, there's full-time lab technicians. I'm not going to say that we don't need them. Like we need them to do these like labs and to manage these labs. But if all of these were designed to do at home, then I don't know, you're saving money on people. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's going to be less work for the TAs. That's for sure. Yeah. So that's TAs are going to like that. Well, interesting times. You have to adapt, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's I'm kind of looking at... Uh, oh. <laughs> what time is it? 12.48. We <laughs> are. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, Nothing matters anymore. It's the end of the world. <laughs> Nothing That's matters. Funny. I agree, Andrea. <laughs> yeah. She's doing homework, I think. Yeah. She's compiling lists, I'm I think. Compiling lists. Yeah. Fine. Cool. Yeah. Oh, also, I think I figured out how to do the download. It should be on the top left down arrow with the thing to download it. Oh. I saw that just now, actually, when I tried to do it on this account. Um, okay. Yeah, you can probably cut this out. I don't know. <laughs> no way. That's fair. New normal. Yeah. New normal. Well, cool. Um, yeah, let us know how your students enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the university is going to request that we make some videos for them to like share with, I don't know, the rest of the world. They seem to be interested in this project. So oh, cool. cool. Yeah, hopefully there'll be some attention shown yeah. on this and we'll be able to uh, get a lot of feedback. Yeah, well, enjoy the rest of your quarantine week. <laughs> yeah, you too. Um, we should probably, yeah, we should probably wrap up, but uh, yeah. I'm excited to tell you about the uh, the people I've been talking to uh, for f future episodes. Uh, interesting people. Cool. We have a sparkling wine expert. Sparkling wine. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I actually learned in Spain it's apparently a thing to have 
sparkling red wine. Hmm. Can you? I've never imagined sparkling red wine. Andrea, thoughts? Yeah, there's like sparkling Pinot Noir. That's really good. Oh, I've never heard that. <laughs> Um, the other day, Andrea put some soda water in one of our older bottles of wine that we weren't really interested in having normally yeah. because it was getting old. And that was the all right. that you do when you don't want to taste wine at all. Well, fair. <laughs> yeah, I do like sparkling, though. I actually woke up this morning saying, wow, it would be great if I had a mimosa this morning. But Did you have one? No, because I don't have sparkling. So maybe I'll make a run to the grocery store today. Yeah. Or LCBO, whatever. Wherever you end up going. Stock up. I do need to make a grocery run, so yeah. Ah, okay. Back to right. course of life. <laughs> yeah, back to work. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for uh, coming on this ride. <laughs> yeah. No, this is fun. I want to see footage from your from the students. I want to see mm -hmm. um, their reactions, and I'm really like interested to see the like the friction on different um, objects, materials. I don't know, like what word to use, um, and also like the ball bouncing project on the different uh, materials that they choose to use. Yeah, hopefully this data is like open to like people can just look at it. Yeah, I'm, I'll push for that. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, if I can just strip the names off of it. Yeah, I can maybe like create a couple data sets. We also mm -hmm. need a single one or two data sets that if students aren't able to perform the experiments at home, like their, you know, computer isn't working or whatever. Uh, we need to have some data sets that they can just work with. So mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll be collecting data as it comes in and creating several data sets. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. Cool. All right. See ya. Yeah. See ya. Okay. Bye. Mm -hmm.